you missed last night, we had a very important service last night. To me, it is important because while this pandemic is, has crippled the world, has crippled the finances, uh, has crippled industries, has crippled government, has crippled churches, has crippled the, uh, the entertaining world, we feel like God's people must be edified. And we are using methods and means that the world has provided, ability to stream. We have technology granted to us, but in every good thing that God has allowed to happen, the devil undermines it. So if when you're home for some reason and you're receiving the streaming, which can happen again, we can go back into stage one. Uh, there are possibilities there that we can fall back into a situation where they close churches again, close uh, sports arenas again. We've got to remember that to maintain, and I thought that's why last night was good, to maintain uh, a beneficial streaming service, it is necessary that the child of God on the other end, those at home, get ready like if they're attending church. Make your home a sanctuary. Make your living room a sanctuary, and there is no way I can hold on to an uh, hold on to an iPad and be typing while I'm making notes and reading my Bible. There is absolutely no way you can do that. So we would like to know who is atten in attendance, watching, and then put it down and look. Get your Bible. Get your notepad. Imagine you're in church. And I prefer you say amen than type it in. It distracts me from the message being preached. And I feel that distraction is what the devil wants to catch you even though I'm preaching. He distracts you. It's like sending you to the washroom when I'm preaching here in church. And so I thought the lesson last, last night was very good. And so today we want to go ahead and if you're home, following this message, streaming, get your Bible, get your notepad. Don't write me a love letter. Write it afterwards. I'll take all the love letters afterwards. But during the service, if you want to get the benefit, uh, that's fine. And if you don't feel like you want to get anything because you're all loaded and you know everything, that's fine also. I'm not here to force anybody against their will. Amen. So we'll sing, and then after we're singing, I want Brother Sam to come and say a few words. I already had Brother Joe say a few words. I already had Brother John say a few words. I want Brother Sam to come and say a few words before I preach. Amen. God bless you. It's good to see everyone out here today. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. His sweet tender mercy, He saved us from sin's dark despair. I'll keep praising Him over and over till that day when. Thank God for His mercy, 
Thank you, Lord, that your mercy has been with us through this entire pandemic period and 
Whatever lies ahead, we don't know, Father, but we commit that into your hands. We thank you once again for helping Brother Vid through the surgery. And we pray that you'll continue to strengthen him, that he'll be better off than before he went in <clears throat> to that surgery, Father. We also thank you today that your grace has been with us and you have helped us, Father, in a special way. We remember Brother Joseph and the, the grieving in his family, the loss of his brother. We pray you'll strengthen his faith and confidence in you, Father. Comfort him during this time of sorrow, we ask. We also remember Sister Vijaya in India, that you'll rest your hand on her life. Bless her service today. Be with us, Father, we ask, in the name of your Son, Jesus, and for his glory. Amen, amen. and amen and amen. Overstream, like when we gather together. True, very true. And I also... I appreciate Brother Sam's talk. Brother Sam is my brother, like he said. And we go back all the way back to Guyana. And uh, he has, he came to Canada prior to my coming and became a part of this church that Brother John was able to organize and set up. Brother White was the pastor at that time. And so Brother John, Brother Sam, Brother White, uh, we had other brothers that were a part of the church. These brothers were here and they were among the two original ones that never departed. But it stayed with me and I'm sometimes not the easiest person to deal with. I feel that unlike the uh, work of a, of a pastor, I have a mixture of a pro pastor and a prophet's ministry. And I like to tell it bluntly. Um, it's like your doctor, he's a nice guy, but he like to tell you got a cancer, he can't say hard boil. He can't say you got a little lump, he's gotta say cancer. He's gotta describe it, whether it's stage one or stage four. Reality is something that you have to deal with. And I really appreciate these brothers sticking it out with me over the years. Uh, they've been around. And then Brother Ved came on in and he is one of the senior elders among these brothers. And um, I appreciate Brother Ved a lot because when I am to make a trip, if I'm to go to Westbury or I'm to go to Washington, or I'm to go to Connecticut, Brother Vid would be willing to go with me to drive. And he would say, okay, we say, okay, we have eight hours of driving. How about me driving the first part? He says, no, I'll take the first part. And then he drives and does not want to stop. And he has always been there to travel with me on these journeys and to take the blunt of the driving does not uh, want me to drive, and I appreciate that. And I knew that uh, this, this period of time that he's going through, that God has a purpose in everything. God never errs in judgment. And the age we're living in, and I'll briefly say this and then move on to something else, the age we're living in, our age is a, is a period of time that we need to examine everything that's happening. This pandemic was not an accident. It was organized and prepared and allowed by God to come. And it's that time when God will shake the tree 
He would shake the heavens, the scripture says, and then he will shake the earth, that that which cannot be shaken will remain. Obviously, that which could be shaken might not remain. And so during this pandemic, it's a period of time where God puts us on trial. The world is being judged, but we are the ones that God is concerned about. God is not concerned about the ungodly man that's walking downtown Toronto. He's concerned about his people. If his people, which are called by his name, shall turn to him and seek his face more desperately than the people outside are expected to do. And if during this past, these past months that we've been afflicted and affected, and it has not drawn you closer to God, then you've got to examine your Christian commitment. Are you really saved? Because that which is built on the foundation would not be easily tossed to and fro by a pandemic, by a sickness, by any form of destruction that, uh, that arrives in the world. And I preached in this church many, many times, and uh, we've gone into the book of Revelation many a times, and uh, we have taught lessons on chastisement many a times, and I've showed you just a few weeks ago, I took my time to tell you that almost every one of the apostles that Jesus sent out, were they were all rejected. They were all rejected. Even Jesus himself was rejected. And they killed him, not because they wanted him to die for the sins of the world. They did not even know why they killed him. They killed him because they did not like his method of preaching. He was blunt. He called hypocrisy, hip hypocrisy. And uh, his bluntness uh, was responsible and little did they understand why it happened that way. And so this pandemic that we're going through is one of many judgments that God will bring on this earth. I'm looking at the book of Revelation and in the 8th chapter and very briefly I'll touch this and then move on if the Lord helps me here. But we have in the book of Revelation a lot of symbols. Uh, it's a book of symbols. And it's hard to understand because my concept of the book of Revelation is that no one on this planet right now understands this book. For me to feel like I can tell you what the book is saying, I'd be really uh, self-righteous and arrogant. Because the book itself tells us that there are seven seals on the backside that the Lord himself, Jesus himself, must open up. And then when the seven seals are open up, it tells us about seven trumpets. Back in the days when the, when the, when the, Revelation, the book of Revelation was given, a trumpet was used as a warning or as an indication of telling you something is about to happen. If there was a war, they blew the trumpet. If there was an alert of some sort, they, all they had was the trumpet. And so I feel when the seals, the backside of the book, the seals are removed, the book is still closed. Moving the seals does not mean the book is open. But in the book of Revelation it says, 
It, in the book itself, it tells us that there was an angel, and I believe that angel is Jesus, who ends up in the chapter 10 of Revelation, tells you he stands one foot on the sea and one foot on the land, and he had a book open up. And I believe that's the book of Revelation. Now I'm telling you, I believe. All I can do is speculate to the best of my ability. And so when the seals are open up, then seven trumpets are to sound. Now, when you hear the trumpets are sounding, they're to tell us that major judgment is about to happen. And I'm going to touch briefly here and tell you that in chapter 8, it tells you, it starts to talk about the trumpets. And I will just lightly touch on the four trumpets. When the first trumpet sounded in verse 7, it tells us that there was a hail that fell from God. And it was cast upon the earth, and one-third of the trees that were on the earth were bun burnt up. So number one, trumpet is telling you when there's unending f fire forests, it's it a trumpet. It is time to consider, is this an indication that God is telling us that down the road, more than one-third would be affected. Now here's what I'll tell you very briefly. When the trumpets are finished, then the, the vials are poured out. The, how the Bible has it is that when the seals are open up, when the last seal opens up, it opens up the seven trumpets. When the seventh trumpet sounds, the seventh, number seven sounds, it opens up the vials. And it seems to target the same area. Now, trumpet number one tells you that one-third of the trees are burned up. Now, John, he was a man, his vocabulary was limited 2,000 years ago. If he saw an airplane, he would not call it an airplane. If he saw a helicopter, he would not call it a helicopter. He would not know what a nuclear war is to begin with. He wouldn't understand the detail of uh, forest fires, but he's telling you, God is giving him a vision, whether it's in a particular location, what he's seeing in that location of his vision, he's seeing one-third of the trees burned up. You'll find later on in the Bible, in the, in the book of Revelation, it tells you that mankind would be affected by these judgments when the vials are poured out. So one-third of the trees are burnt up. I remember uh, one morning when the Amazon was on fire. Uh, the Amazon is called the lungs of the world. Uh, Jeremiah, my grandson, ran into me and he says, Grandpa, I remember your message when I heard the news this morning on the radio. I said, what was the news? They said one-third of the Amazon was burnt up. Now, I don't know if that's what John saw. I don't know what John saw. He saw a vision, one-third of the trees burnt up. It's an indication that a trumpet is telling us when you're seeing all of this forest fire as never transpired before, consider whether it's the judgment of God or something telling us God is about to judge the world. And then it goes on here, the second trumpet sounds, and I'm bringing attention to four trumpets. The second one sounds... And it says there was a mountain of fire cast into the sea and a third of the sea became like blood. 
what here it's telling us is that the creatures in the sea were affected and they, there was pollution in the sea. Never before in the history of man's existence were our seas so polluted as it is today. When you see these things, it's an indication maybe that God is telling us that we need to pay attention. So first, trees are burnt up. Second trumpet, the seas are polluted, became like blood, almost sounds like an oil spill. Third trumpet sounds, and it says the third trumpet sounded in verse 10, and there fell this judgment of God, and it affected the fountains of water. It means that there is an unprecedented pollution of drinking water. Never before in the history of man's existence is mankind so concerned with the kind of water you drink. I had a man come to my house. He says, can I test your tap water? I said, sure, knock yourself out. Test it. He said, it's not good for you. I said, what you got to sell? Everyone testing all the waters, and you'd be surprised to know one water is not alkaline enough, the other one is not got enough whatever in, minerals enough. And so I have to trust God somewhere down the line. I drink one kind of water and I'm not here promoting water, but I'm telling you that the third trumpet affects drinking water. All right. Well, everybody's saying, don't worry about that. Drinking water was always affected. Well, here is what I say. I have this ungodly thing I say. Knock yourself out. Four trumpet. The four trumpet sounds and it affects the sun. That the sun starts to scorch the earth. The sun and the stars, the heavenly bodies were affected and it starts to scorch the earth. Never before in the history of mankind has the ozone that protects us from the sunlight been so depleted as it is today. I'm telling you about four trumpets in my Bible. You make whatever interpretation you want. My interpretation is that we're living closer to the end than we ever imagined. And so these are things I'd like to leave to with you here today. Uh, it goes on, John goes on to tell you that the three trumpets that are remaining are the worst. Uh, we're not going to do that today because I'm tem tempted to think about Brother Ved and his recovery. And you know, there are times when God will heal someone and there are times when God will allow you to be chastised and go through your, your chastisement. Chastisement is good. This church will understand what I, what I mean when I say this. Because whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Well, when we look at the Bible, there are all kinds of problems. We think of Job, for example. And Job was an upright man. And maybe that's where I'll go today because of time. In Job, the book of Job, very briefly. Uh, here in the book of Job, God boasted about Job. And this is supposed to be one of the oldest documents in the Bible, in your King James Bible. And I'm glad that God has given us a Bible that we can go back and we can read in English what is written therein. 
And scholars are not happy with what's written here, so they'd like to find out what was written in a different language before this came to this, and they go on and on and on and on and on. Well, I don't have a problem with that. If you want to go read a different language, I have a problem with English. Sometimes I speak Guyanese. Sometimes I speak Jamaican. Sometimes I try to use the London English pronunciation. And sometimes just plain old West Indian English. When, I, I, when I'm standing and there's a congregation of British people, American people, West Indian people, I don't need, know if I should say tomato or tomatoes. Potato or potatoes. I don't know what to say, lieutenant or lieutenant. But as long as you understand, that's important. But I love variety of language. But this Bible, I'm glad that God has permitted us to have a Bible that the early church did not have. The early church did not have a Bible. Everyone sitting in the congregation did not have a Bible to open up before them. It did not exist. The New Testament did not build the New Testament church. Even though today, preachers can scarcely preach because God is talking to them, they need to hold on to some book and open it so they can preach from a text or from scriptures. But when Paul stood up, he did not have a book open up before him. On the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Ghost touched these disciples that were seemingly unlearned and ignorant men, when the Holy Ghost touched them, and this is where I thank God for Luke. I'm going to say that over and over and over. Had it not been for Luke, we would not have the gospel of Luke. Had it not been for Luke, we would not have the Acts of the Apostles. And if you take away the Acts of the Apostles and the gospel of Luke, we would not know about the details of John the Baptist's mother, mother and father. We would not understand a lot of things about how the Holy Ghost touched these individuals. We would not have the details about Jesus coming out of the uh, fasting for 40 days and 40 nights and coming into the temple and quoting Isaiah and says, Today the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he had anointed me to preach the gospel. Had it not been for Luke, we would not have an account of the day of Pentecost. It's amazing that for some reason, if there might have been other documents available that had the day of Pentecost, somebody hid it away. Oh, I'm saying something that scholars would say, how do you know that? Well, I don't know that. I just feel like somebody hid the thing away. But when Luke came out, one of the last ones after he's finished with his missionary journeys with the Apostle Paul and converted as he was, he took us in the book of Acts and he talked about a day of Pentecost. Like that, it has triggered this desire in the hearts of every sincere child of God to receive the Holy Ghost baptism in their lives. Had it not been for Luke, we would not have the story of Stephen and how he died as a martyr. 
how he preached in Acts chapter 7. I feel every child of God that's a genuine Christian should go home and read Acts the 7 chapter, the entire speech that Stephen gave and see the audacity and the strength and the boldness this young man had not like some of us today that are cowards to preach the gospel. And yet at the same time, we live in an age where if I start to address the ungodly lifestyle and call them ridiculous names and all of that, the government might come and close the church. My job is not to save the people parading in Toronto downtown during Gay Pride Parade. My job is to save you. So I'm not going to cast off on those people unless one come in here, then I'll try to save them. But if I see you start to have a different lifestyle, I'll preach the gospel to you. My job is to preach the gospel. And our responsibility is to be wise as a serpent and harmless as the dove that we don't just create a problem for the ungodly to come and attack us. We are pleased that God has allowed the government to allow us to exist. We are pleased that God has given us the chance that we can come back in church. And that is why when you miss a service, I wonder if you're saved. When you use every excuse to stay away from church, I wonder if you're still in the process of salvation. And you know why I will bear up with you? The reason why I'll bear up, bear up with you is that conversion takes a period of time. Paul took about 13, 14 years and still there was work to be done. David took a lot of years in Cave Adullam. Moses took 40 years in the wilderness when he was tending to sheep for God to get Egypt out of him and then another 40 years for God to get Moses out of Moses. And I would give individuals a time period as the pastor, I must be patient enough, I must preach the gospel and give you time to change. And so when I'm looking at this Bible, I'm glad that I have the book of Job right in front of me here today. I appreciate that. But if all the Bibles disappeared, I will still reach out to God and preach the gospel without a Bible. Because if I can't communicate with God and have him touch my mind to recognize evil in our time, then what's the purpose of me calling myself a minister of the gospel? See, my messages today are different than Paul's messages when he offered them because I don't even know what he preached. I know what he wrote to correct churches that were backsliding and encourage some that were not so far backsliding. But I don't have a single message Paul preached. And God in his wisdom did not want that because God wanted me to come up with my message to build the church today. I'm still building on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. But I need to build walls to protect us from the evil that exists today because God's people are often blinded to reality of evil. That's why we have pastors. That is why he ascended on high and gave gifts unto men for the perfecting of the saints. The saints are not smart enough to save themselves. Barishing, I don't like you. Well, you know, I say this all the time. I love to say it. I don't like me too. 
And the more I know me, is the less I like me. And the more I see God working in my life, is then I say, you've still got hope. And I appreciate what God is doing because here was a man, perfect. Got a few minutes left. Um, <clears throat> I'd like to take 10 minutes more. In this book of Job, you know the story that God called him a perfect and upright man. In the first part here, verse 1, there was a man in the land of Oz uh, whose name was Job. The man was perfect and upright. One that feared God and assured evil. And he said, this man, I wonder, uh, this man is really good. Well, this good man, in a matter of days, he lost all that he had. He was one of the richest men in his time. And the Bible tells us in this book of Job that the devil went to God. And unlike what you think is the battle between God and the devil, the devil went up there and God created the devil for a purpose. Uh, the purpose of the devil is to give the incompetent child of God somebody to blame. I'll say that again. One of the purposes of the devil uh, for his existence is to give the incompetent child of God, the prayerless, the lack of dedicated, uh, dedication child of God, somebody to blame for their presumptuous action. The other purpose is the devil was created so he can come and, come and tempt you and try to destroy you because the battle between God and the devil, the battleground is you and me. He comes and he tempts me because I have a fallen nature. God comes and he tries to lead me otherwise contrary to the devil. To whom I yield myself servant to obey his servant I am. And in the day of judgment, the devil would be judged according to what he was supposed to do. But you will not be judged because the devil tempted you. You'll be judged because you presumptuously violated the laws of God and did things presumptuously to the principles of God. You'll be judged according to your actions and I'll be judged according to my actions. So this upright man, one day the devil went and says, and before the devil could even say something, God said, have you tried my servant Job? And the devil says, you bless him with riches. That's why he's, he is what he is. And God said to him, go take all his riches, but don't touch his life. He's a child of God. See, God might put you through the same trial. And then... After that was over, overnight, Job, the richest man, one of the richest men, became the poorest. He did not curse God nor charge God foolishly. And then the devil come back and God says, did you try him? He said, yes, but if you touch his skin, skin for skin, all a man has, he would go for, if you touch his skin, get it more personal. God says, go ahead and touch his skin, but do not take his life. And the devil went and he put boils all over Job. And in chapter 1 and in chapter 2 of the book of Job, Job did not curse God. He did not charge God. He did not blame God nor anything like that. And a lot of preachers like to use chapter 1 and chapter 2 and stay with that. Well, from chapter 3. And because of time, I'm going to go into this like this. In chapter 3, Job started to curse. 
Chapter 1 was gone. Chapter 2 was gone. But there is only so much a man can take when he is going through a trial. And so as he sat there, three of his friends decided that they were going to come and sit with him. Now here was Job sitting, had boils all over, pus running down, and he had a little, little broken pottery, and he would scrape the pus off. See, if I'm sick, if I'm sick and I've got pus all over, don't come visit me. Ask Sister Chandri how I'm doing, and she'll tell you. Because this is why this man is called patient. He sat there and they came and sat in front of him for seven days without saying a word. You come, if I have pus all over me and you come and sit there for one hour, I'll tell you to leave, please. I need some privacy. I appreciate Job. I really appreciate the man. And when they were there sitting and then Job started to complain. In chapter 3, he cursed the day he was born. He wishes mother had still birth. He says, Job went on for the entire book of Job and complained. And these men challenged him and he complained. He complained that God was judging his children and then Godly was going scot-free. He was like Asaph in Psalms 73. When he says, Asaph said, when I saw the prosperity of the wicked... I almost backslid because I'm a child of God and I'm suffering and I'm going through but the ungodly person they're not going to church they seem to be happy well you got to read the book and read the whole book and know the truth and the whole truth and nothing but the truth because raw gold is never purified except it is taken through fire and Job, even though he was a perfect and upright man, there were things in his life that God needed to bring to the surface to make Job a better man than he was before. I'm firmly convinced that when any child, whether it's Brother Vid or any one of us is going through a process, when it's over, we either curse God and die or we turn a new page and become a better individual, one better suited for the kingdom of God. So the Bible says oppression, make it even the wise man mad. So when this pandemic is over, if you got so discouraged that you don't want to serve God no more, guess what? It's no surprise to me. I expected this. I expected someone to draw closer to God and I expect some to drift farther away from God. I expect if your foundation is not rooted and built in God, you'll be complaining and finding all kinds of excuse. Well, you need to be saved. You need to be saved. Are you following me? I got five minutes left. Am I right? Five minutes left. Now listen to me. So entire book of Job, Job went on and he complained. He cursed the day he was born. He wished he was like days gone by when he washed his steps with butter. Days of prosperity when he walked down the streets and the elders stood up in respect to him. He said, I wish those days would come back. Well, we all do when we're going through a trial. 
David in Psalms, he said, when David was being judged by God, David says, all night I make my bed to swim. He says, my eyes are sunk in and my bones are stuck out. And I cried, oh God, how long? Well, as long as it takes. And I believe when a child of God is going through a process and you're coming through the fire, if you're made up of chaff, you'll be burned up and nothing would be left. But if you've got a trace of gold in there and the mass is chaff, the fire is going to be bigger. The more chaff, the more dross is the bigger and longer the fire. Every one of us is different. And when God is taking you through that process, he is only interested in making you a better individual than you were before the trial. They that bear fruit, he will purge that you will bring forth more fruit. The purpose of God is to make you a better child of God. Are you learning? And if you did not learn with the first lesson, it will come again because the elect will be saved. It's better for you to learn and fall under rock, the scripture says, and you willingly be broken than to have the rock fall on you and crush you. God will save the elect in whatever means and by whatever means it takes. Amen. Do you know when it came to the end of the book of Job? When it came to the end of the book of Job, it came to that point where Job was blessed with double of the prosperity that he had at the commencement of that book. When Job came to the place when his self-righteousness was examined, he says, I repent in dust and ashes. I turn to God. He turned to God and asked God to save him. While the process is the same for every child of God, and when Paul describes this in 2 Timothy, the second chapter, uh, and uh, when he talks about a great house, has vessels of gold and vessels of silver and vessels of wood and vessels of stone, some to honor and some to dishonor. If a dishonorable vessel purge himself from being dishonor, honorable, allow God to cleanse you and to help you, you can become a vessel of honor, meet for the master to use. And I believe a child of God, this Bible is so beautiful, whether you're going through a trial and God did not heal you, and you know what? I've seen individuals in this church, almost everyone that got healed in a miracle backslid. So good to see Pam still there. She was telling me about a testimony. It's so good to know that Lynette is still there serving God. But a lot of people right here in this church that have got a miracle done in their life, backslid. It's good to see Nadine still here with all those lumps disappear to see she's still serving God. Sometimes God would heal one and he wouldn't heal one. Elijah died of a sickness. Isaac was blind before he died. Paul had often infirmities in his body. But he, God told Paul, he says, my grace is sufficient. And God's grace is sufficient to take us right down to the end until the vessel is purged from, in, from impurities and become vessels of honor. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for another day in your house. We thank you for this lesson that we have received. We thank you, Father, for your purging process in every one of our lives. Give us the ability to recognize your hand, O oh God, and to yield ourselves into your will that you can cleanse us and 
purge us until we can become vessels of honor. Help Brother Vid to come through this process. Father, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen and amen and amen. God bless you. Praise the Lord.